0: Hello, Bob, my old friend. I've come to dine you again. Although the blue field slowly creeping across the plains and death is sweeping. I have this podcast still streaming in my ears. Soon. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 9 of the Codename Whiskey Podcast, recording for Friday, October 13th, 2017, and it's a special episode because our topic today is mental health. Uh, As always, I'm joined by Trent.
1: Hello everybody, welcome back to the podcast.
0: And today we have not one but two guests, Shannon and Lola.
1: Hi everyone, this
2: is Lola talking. (laughs) And this is Shannon.
0: Alright, so just uh, for a quick uh, bit of background, tell us a little bit about your guys' history with gaming.
2: Well, this is Lola. Uh, I have always been a kind of a casual gamer. I've, we I've actually kind of uh, had experience with games ever since like the first Nintendo came out, and I always had fun. Probably, you know, watching my brother more than actually playing myself. But um, personally, I like, uh, you know, horror games like Silent Hill, Resident Evil. Um, Resident Evil more is a like kind of a tag team effort that I would enjoy with my brother. It's like he would actually like you know do all the killing. I would solve all the puzzles. Um, I like puzzle games. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like any kind of puzzle games, racing games. Uh, more recently, I really started enjoying Terraria and uh, Castlevania Symphony of Despair, I believe. yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> but aside from that, you know, I just I have a lot of I enjoy. A lot of uh, the interactive games, like Wii, on uh, on the Wii, um, you know DDR. I'm just, you know, I said casual gamer. <laughs> I love DDR. Oh, DDR.
1: <laughs> <laughs> DDR. DDR is the game that that nobody can beat. Nick at. He is the master. What? Well, just because I'm Asian?
0: <laughs> really? You son of a bitch.
1: Hey, you're only half. So if anything, it's only half a victory. Such trash.
3: <laughs> I have managed to fall over while standing still playing DDR.
1: <laughs> was drinking involved? Or is just, just that Just that, That's how it happened?
3: <laughs> no, the problem was I was sober
1: Oh, okay <laughs> Bad times
0: <laughs> <laughs> Or and, good uh,
1: times, depending on who you ask
0: And what about you, Shannon? What do you normally play?
3: Hardcore casual gamer um, I play the old Final Fantasies I think I'm currently playing Final Fantasy 6 And Kingdom
1: Hearts All mm. of the Kingdom Hearts Kingdom Hearts. So I tried
0: to to make some progress in Final Fantasy VI, and I got to tell you, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing. It's like every time I start to go down a certain path or start to do something, Mm -hmm. I'm missing all kinds of stuff. I just have no idea what I'm doing, so I just don't ever play it.
3: It's it's kind of a drawn-out game, but I really like the story. Um, I like the different characters and their stories. It's probably... One of my favorites, everybody well, not everybody, but a lot of people like seven, but six, the storyline, especially the character Celis her story is so sad
0: yeah, I need to I need to get in there and really spend some time with it. I think it was just I was at some sort of a castle in the sand and there's some side <laughs> door I needed to go into, and yes. I actually had to look it up and it just it was such a pain in the ass <laughs> well
3: you're you're only in the first half of the game
0: uh, yeah it's it's pretty bad I know I'm a scrub. <laughs>
1: Well, we do know you're the scrub lord, so.
0: Everyone knows I'm the scrub lord. I'm (laughs) commander scrub. Um, All right. And then, so you guys also, your main thing is you guys sell original artwork. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. Um, I've been doing art for a while. Um, Shannon is my main promoter and, you know, poker to actually, like, do stuff. So (laughs) I wouldn't be selling it if it wasn't for her. But, yeah. I do a lot of, um, you know, anthro art, uh, a lot of fantasy art, uh, in various mediums, whether it's charcoal, marker, uh, color pencil, and I do some do dabble in digital as well. So
0: and you do uh, commissions, right?
2: That is correct. Um, I do those through uh, conventions or through online uh, requests as well.
0: That's awesome. Um, We'll have to hit you up maybe for some artwork for the podcast sometime. um okay so i want to preface this episode kind of by emphasizing that we are not healthcare professionals and uh, these are simply our opinions and our own personal experiences with mental health issues i also want to give um, a fair warning to anyone currently dealing with depression or self-harm in order to keep this episode as open and real as possible there is potential for triggers for some people so if you are trigger sensitive please stop listening here Uh, with that being said it's on with the show um So, okay, moving on to our main topic. I I think most of us in today's day and age can say that, you know, mental health and its effects have touched our lives at some point, whether it's, you know, someone that we know or ourselves. But, um, you know, I know that, you know, Trent, you're well aware lately, um, you know, the stuff between Robin Williams' suicide, Chris Cornell, Chester Bennington, uh, and then our scare with our buddy Hafenstaff or Easton, you know, that was particularly frustrating because it wasn't even true. It was a situation where someone was on his profile pretending to be his girlfriend saying that he had hung himself and after however long of confusion 3 days i think of confusion and constant crying you know i reached out to his sister and said hey you know is this is this true like did this really happen and she confirmed that no it's it's completely a lie and he's alive uh, she reached out to him and let him know what was going on. He reached out and apologized and everything. But that pain of losing, quote unquote, losing him, was indescribable and and really changed how I look at suicide from the outside.
1: Yeah, that was just so frustrating. And yeah, I think it was. We found, you know, supposedly we were told on Friday that you know he had committed suicide. And then yeah, I think it was like that Sunday or Monday after we found out that you know it was not true. But it 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 still caused a quite a bit of pain to hear this and then just the relief to find out that you know it wasn't true was just you know it's, in, it's not really can't really describe it even in words
0: I mean even like from the depression side of things you know I've, I've attempted suicide before and you know when you're in it when you're trying to do those things or when you're feeling that pain you're not thinking about how it's going to affect people or when you are thinking about it like for me anyways I think well their lives whether they realize it or not are going to be better when I'm gone this is just something that I have to do and it's going to fix all the problems. And, you know, and, and really, you know, being on the outside of that and thinking that he had done that was just like, it was insane. I I've never felt that kind of pain before. And I don't even like it's, we've never met him in person. He's not somebody that we're, you know, like really close with. He's, I know we consider him a friend, but we don't know him. And yet it hurt as if he was our own cousin or our brother. And it was just incredible.
1: Yeah, and personally for me, that's how, like, how I really felt uh, after, you know, Robin Williams, Chris Cornell, and Chester Bennington uh, all committing suicide. Because growing up, uh, especially with Chris Cornell and Chester Bennington, I really grew up listening to all their music. So just hearing them, hearing about them committing suicide, it, like, it hurt me. And say, like, okay, well, you know, I wasn't a personal on a personal level with either one of them, but, you know, I considered all three of them my heroes. And Robin Williams, you know, kind of my humor style. So just to hear that, you know, my heroes were gone, like, hurt me so, so hard on a personal level that, like, you know, I, I spent so much time crying, feeling like I actually lost a family member or just a super close friend, even though, you know, they technically were not, you know, on that level with me.
0: Yeah, definitely. And what about you guys, Shannon and Lola? You guys have any personal experiences with... Uh you know, loss or possible loss of somebody, you know, close to you?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, most recently, I actually had a friend whose daughter had passed away about a year ago um, via an accident, and she just couldn't take the pain anymore as long as, you know, as much as she was trying for her son that was still around. He's maybe about nine years old, and on... Her daughter's birthday. It was going to be her daughter's thirteenth birthday. She, she just couldn't do it anymore. She, did take her own life, and it was it was just kind of hard to see it happen because I had followed her journey on Facebook. She was going to actually live with us for a little while, you know, when the uh, the accident first happened, because she just you know needed to be around people and she couldn't work. It was just hard, and no matter how much she tried you know they they moved to a different state uh to go ahead and try to you know start over to try to get away from the memories and try to rebuild the you know their family connection but it was just too much for her and it was just really hard to watch her suffering through all of that she was going to the doctor she was taking her medication she was trying to live for her son but she just, she just couldn't, and it was heartbreaking to watch.
0: Yeah, of course.
2: And um, my father as well. Uh, he is a a Vietnam vet, and they had been trying to, you know, he had been trying to seek help, but the VA kind of kept giving him the runaround and everything like that. And at one point, it just got so bad. He was taking so much medication, nothing was helping, and. He wound up just, from what I was told, just sobbing to himself, taking a handful of pills, thinking that it would be better for my family if he just went. And my niece actually found him, tried to take the pills out of his mouth, and they called 911 and they were able to keep him from, you know, being lost as well. And luckily, you know, he's doing a little bit better now, but it was, it was scary. Yeah, absolutely scary and i've also suffered through suicidal ideation myself i've never actually done anything but i've i've thought about it a lot and i've gotten very close i've i've poured pills out into my hand i've thought of you know driving into a light pole. There was a point where my depression had gotten so bad that I had to actually hand my keys to Shannon and say, I, I can't drive anymore.
0: I mean, that's the reality of it is that people do, whether they admit it or not, people do think about their own mortality and, and there are times in a lot of people's lives where that thought comes up and it's really what you do with that thought that matters. You know, it's you could just decide to let it consume you, you know, the way that some of us have and you could choose then to stand up and ignore those thoughts you know it's easy like you you think about oh i need to eat better and i need to go to the gym and it's easy to suppress those thoughts It's so easy to just say well you know maybe not tomorrow i'm not going to go to the gym tomorrow that's fine but why is it so hard then to suppress the thoughts of self-harm suicide and all of the depressive thoughts of things that are you know currently plaguing you you know what i mean it's it can be super difficult but um and i am sorry to hear about your friend though Thank you. Yeah, I will say that um, my own lifelong struggles have been with depression and uh, self-harm. You know, like I said, I've attempted suicide a few times before, you know, long, long, long time ago. But um, for my own part, I've had some varying levels of depression my whole life, you know, basically as far back as I can remember and at all times. Like, it never really completely goes away. Um, no matter how good my life has gotten, I mean, I've got a wonderful wife and two awesome kids and it's, you know, my life is good. But that depression is always there and it might always be there. You know, I've found the root cause. I've dealt with it directly and, you know, but it's kind of one of those things. It's like, it's like that scar that will never fully heal. It's just always going to be there. Um, You know, no matter what I try to do, it's, it's always going to be a part of my identity, unfortunately. Um, But, uh, you know, as far as like my background, for instance, you know, my, my dad abandoned my mom, brothers and I, when I was somewhere between four and six uh, come to find out my dad was a white-collar criminal and left us kind of with nothing, not even, like, a goodbye. Um, so common themes in my childhood centered around, you know, why doesn't my dad love me? What did I do wrong? And maybe if I were more like my half-brother, maybe he would have stuck around and we'd all have him. Um, but there was literally a time where we were homeless, you know, which makes watching The Pursuit of Happiness extremely hard. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. But... Uh, you know mom worked hard and turned our lives around and made my life as close to normal as i could have you know had given the circumstances so it's it's kind of like if i didn't have someone like her in my life would i have succeeded in killing myself would i feel like i have so much to live for you know at those early ages where i couldn't deal with the pressure of real life problems you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and then just real quick, you know, fast forward to my dating years when I was, I'm a pretty sensitive guy being raised by a single mom. Um, so, but then I, you know, there was a point where I cheated on my girlfriend when I was like 16 or 17 and that was where the cutting began. You know, I I had friends that stopped talking to me because I had betrayed her. Um, you know, I knew of people who had cut themselves before, before that. And so I thought, well, you know, if they're able to use that as some sort of self-medication, maybe I should try it. And, um, you know, they were never, like, deep cuts, just kind of surface-level cuts to release the stress and tension of being myself, but, you know, I literally became addicted, and and it became my fix for everything, ranging from sadness to anger to even if I had, like, a good day. Like, I've never done drugs, but I assume that's what it feels like to come home and get high, you know, like, just Mm -hmm. come home and just pull the knife out. And I had the one particular blade that I like to use, and it's just... It was just a very insurmountable thing at the time. You know, I still have this addiction. Like every time that I want to cut, I have to put in the forefront of my mind that I'll feel immense shame, you know, and that I've got my two kids that I don't want to see my wounds and my scars. Like every time that, you know, my kids ask me or if they see the scars on my arms, I just, you know, well, I'll tell you when you're older, you know, because I don't know that they could handle that knowledge at this point. And that's just further incentive to keep fighting it. And my life is so good now, you know, so the times where the addiction surfaces are a few and far between and, you know, for my part anyway, is pretty easy to fight.
1: Yeah. And, you know, everybody goes through different levels of, you know, their fights. Like for me, uh, my struggles with depression and anxiety really rooted itself, I want to say, basically in high school, because when I started high school, I went to... Uh, a brand new high school all by myself so I didn't move on to high school with any of my you know grade school and middle middle school friends Uh, so I literally had to start over and for me that was super tough because I'm very introverted and I really suffer from social anxiety so you know feeling like I have to start from square one where I don't know anybody kind of I think put a target on my back a little bit because I was bullied pretty hard, uh, throughout high school because since, like I said, I was the only person from my school to graduate and go to my high school, uh, and everyone else pretty much all came from, you know, like four or five other schools. So they all came together. So it seemed like, you know, I was just the easy target because I didn't know anybody. Um, and then it just kind of gradually got worse. And then, uh, college it got pretty bad for a while but then i kind of i bounced back after a a little while but uh things got really really bad for me i want to say like my my freshman year of college because uh, a girl i was dating at the time uh dumped me and then started going around accusing my or telling my friends that you know that i had raped her oh my god so then you know yeah just the stress of you know thinking that You know, what if she goes to the police? You know, that stuff because my friends were turning their back on me and, you know, accusing me of something that I was not guilty of. But because I had so many people against me, it started affecting me thinking that, you know, this is the end. Like, I I can't win this battle. Thankfully, though, she did end up retracting her story and admitting that it was all a lie. (laughs) Uh, But just like, I want to say it was like a... two three weeks span in my life that it was just like one of the most horrible like experiences i've ever had and i hope to like never experience something like that again
0: and so that was your onset of anxiety
1: that's when i started realizing that it was really a problem like i had already known that my anxiety had been a problem basically since i was a kid because like i said i i'm pretty anti-social i have a lot of social anxiety uh i'm super shy around people and you know i have trouble making friends for the most part uh so I knew it was a problem even by then, but I feel like by the time I got to college, it had become, you know, a bigger problem than it had been, uh, but I, I can't fully explain it either, though, but uh, I did take medications for a while for it and whatnot, and uh, not anymore because, mostly because <laughs> I didn't like the medication, and it, like, would, like, turn me into, like, a zombie and things like that, so I felt like that wasn't really helping me, And I felt like it was more of a hindrance more than, you know, actually helping me.
0: Yeah, I've heard that a lot about people who have anxiety. I don't have any experience with anxiety, so I don't really, you know, know a lot about it. Um, But I do know that, you know, certain people have talked about it, you know, from a health standpoint. You know, you exercising and and getting into running and kind of eliminating the other smaller stressors in your life are good ways to deal with that. Um, Kind of finding, like, finding peace. I've also heard meditation works, though I don't really know like how to meditate. So I, I wouldn't even know where to begin on <laughs> trying to, to describe that. But,
3: uh... there's some really very simple, um, meditations and, you know, um, meditation can be just as simple as breathing in for three seconds, holding it, and then breathing out for three seconds. Um, meditation can be just about anything you want. I use video games.
2: Hmm. It's basically anything that can kind of help you, uh, get your mind off of the stressors and kind of reset your body in a way. Uh, I've been told about several types of breathing exercises as well. Uh, Another one uh, that one of my psychologists once taught me about is circle breathing, where it's just basically when you try to inhale and exhale to the point where it's just one continuous stream, you know, where you don't, you know how when you inhale and you hold it and then you exhale, and you kind of hold it. It's just kind of like trying to get your inhale and exhale to just be one continuous loop. Huh.
0: That's interesting.
2: And that's one way of doing it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's say I've I tend to use the breathing uh, techniques myself to uh, deal with my anxiety. Uh, especially for me, like like Nick knows, like I'm I'm probably at my worst with my anxiety whenever I have to fly somewhere. Uh, it's just, like, the absolute worst thing that, like, I go through, and I tend to get panic attacks pretty often when I fly. Uh, but definitely doing the breathing technique uh, does wonders for me. Uh, I, I don't know if it would work wonders for everybody, but for me it definitely works. And then uh, I also just tend to use video games as a stress relief to kind of keep myself under control. And I usually play, like, more casual things. So, like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I might play Zelda, you know. Because like I've said before, one of my favorite all time series or I'll play a Kingdom Hearts game because it's also their <laughs> favorite <laughs> game of mine. Basically things that, you know, fairly simple games that don't require me to, you know, tax my my head so much just so I can like kind of like keep myself calm and just kind of relax. And that's what I found works best for me. Um, you know, every, but everybody has their different techniques that they can use to you know calm themselves or relax themselves and keep anxiety and panic attacks to a minimal
2: sailor drops has actually helped me a lot
0: (laughs) it's awesome to hear you guys say that video games are a form of um a form of meditation because then that means that i've got an excuse i can be like hey i'm I'm super stressed out and i need to meditate and this is the way that i meditate you know you you can knock it all you want but this is my way
1: (laughs) Yeah, and then the other thing I tend to use, I think a lot of people agree to, is music. Because uh, mm. especially in high school when I when I was playing a lot of uh, bass guitar in bands with a couple of friends, you know, I used a lot of music as a as a stress relief, both playing and listening to it. And that's really where I started appreciating Lincoln Park and all of Chris Cornell's music a lot more. And like uh, like you said, Nick, you know, other bands, metal bands like Senses Fail and things like that, I discovered them. And would use them as a kind of a release as well. Uh, and that, that did wonders for me as well. Yep.
0: Yeah, it's just, it's difficult for me with Senses Fail because while they're, you know, I can safely now at this point say that they're one of my top three, maybe my number one favorite band, the lyrics are directly a trigger for me. You know, I'll hear some of their lyrics, some of the things that they say, you know, and especially because the singer's own personal experiences with depression and alcoholism were centered around his um really his gender not his gender identity but his sexual orientation like he he is a man and he identifies not as straight and not as gay he's romantically interested in women but sexually he's interested in everybody like it's but because of that confusion and in a time where you know maybe different sexual orientations were not as well recognized. He struggled with that, you know, and how like normally you either have your straight people or your gay people. And at that time, that's kind of what it was so what is it like for somebody who romantically loves and wants women but then sexually wants everybody i mean that's like at the time probably seemed like such an anomaly and and so that's where his depression his thoughts of suicide um his psychiatric experiences with somebody who philosophically did not have the same views and and thus gave the wrong kind of treatment um you know and ultimately it just led to like this downward spiral for this guy. I mean, he says that he drank every day for 10 years and only missed one Uh day. I mean, that's insane, right? But the way that he got out of it was basically falling in love. You know, he met a woman and he fell in love and most of his writing then revolved around her and their relationship and then they got married. And everything, while the sound sounds the same as it ever did, his lyrics tonally went from, throwing himself off a building and describing what it feels like to die to, you know, songs written entirely in Spanish because she's Peruvian huh. written entirely in Spanish about how much he loves her and that she's his moon and his ocean and his everything. And, you know, so with senses fail, like that that huge that huge body of work that centers around his emotional problems with you know, his his personal dealings that stuff to me makes me feel like because i can identify with it it puts me back in that place of you know what it was like to be depressed all the time and what it feels like to cut you know it puts me in those places and it just so it's like a positive and a negative like hearing the music is good but then also putting myself back in that mindset is not so good oh, yeah absolutely <laughs> and it's
2: yeah. nice that he was able to like you know be able to find that person he loves but if when you're in that situation and you don't necessarily have that blessing. It's, I'm sure, tough for that you know that kind of person as well.
0: Right, and and because he's an artist, you know, you're talking about somebody who's touring and has potential groupies. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of shacking up with groupies, I've I've heard some some um, interviews that he's done, and instead of shacking up with groupies, which he totally does not respect, he would pay for uh, transsexual prostitutes because that was his personal thing and his only way of expressing his sexuality and exploring that was to pay for it. And and it's just sad because, you know, most people, when they go through their sexual identity and sexual kind of awakening, you don't have to go through those, those extremes. You don't have to deal with something that is, you know, literally illegal and probably caused him an immense amount of shame.
2: Yeah. And I think it's definitely one of the big contributors as well. Cause I know personally, my finding out that I was bisexual I think that was looking back now definitely a stressor for me as well especially coming from a Mexican household and my mother being quite religious as well so that definitely was a very hard time. Um, Of course. Look I didn't quite realize that I was depressed until I had already moved out of my house uh, when I was like probably about 22 23 years old um, I moved out you know a year I mean, a couple months before that and I was like no once I'm out of the house great everything's going to be amazing um, we had some issues with a roommate when you know that Shannon and I first had and you know she had moved out at the time but I was still feeling quite miserable and I had actually gone to uh our on-site doctor that we had at the place that we worked and I had gone for a physical and he was actually asking me how I was feeling personally. And I wound up breaking down kind of sobbing and crying. And I didn't know why I had no clue what was going on. And he's like, I I think you're depressed. I'm like, no, (laughs) that's not right. I guess so. (laughs) And it's like, you know, he's like, no, I really think you should see a psychiatrist. And it's like, okay (laughs) because you know growing up again in a a mexican household it's like you don't see psychiatrists that's for crazy people you know i'm just i'm just moody i'm i'm being you know lazy i'm tired i'm you know just being a crybaby i'm oversensitive and it took me quite a a, quite a while uh, to finally decide to go and see a psychiatrist and sure enough you and
3: i both grew up in You and I both grew up in homes where if there wasn't blood or bones sticking out, then you weren't broken. Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of how I uh, feel like a lot of people get raised, but, you know, obviously not typical for everybody. But uh, I do feel like that is a pretty big problem where people just kind of think that, you know, mental saying you're depressed or have some kind of mental health issue is just an excuse to like, you know, try to get the easy way out of things but in reality, you know the deepest cuts are the ones that are inside of us that, you know, you can't be you can't actually see on somebody
3: My um, my grandparents, they had five kids and all five of them ended up being alcoholics and um, I do believe bipolar runs in our family also and I remember them saying, oh your your aunt, the one aunt the, the older one, she's I always thought she was just plain crazy just absolutely crazy and they're like oh she's just high strung and as I got older and you know after Lola and I decided that we were going to get help for ourselves and I'm looking back over my history I'm like I think she's bipolar and that also explains a lot about my dad too and um yeah that that was always a thing and I didn't realize that I dealt with anxiety, until, similar to Lola, until I left home, and the situation around me wasn't there, and I could focus on myself, and it wasn't fun.
2: So it's a lot easier to see things in other people, and I guess to realize your own stuff that's happening, because it's like, you know, when I I was finally able to convince her to you know, see a psychiatrist and, you know, when she got her diagnosis, she was just like, no, that's, that's not right. (laughs) (laughs) I think, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely harder for us to see our own.
3: Or when we went, when you took me to the emergency room, when I had the big panic attack and the, the, the doctor there at the emergency room said, you know, I think you might be on the bipolar range and, uh...
2: She did not want to hear it.
3: (laughs) No, no. Because my sister is um, bipolar and schizoaffective and she enjoys it. She does not take her medication and she enjoys the, the highs and, the, and the, um, the mania. And so that's always what I associate with and I'm, I'm not like that. I'm not like her. And to have that label put on me terrified me i'd rather be just straight up called a basket case and being told that i might be part, you know even a little bit bipolar
0: right i mean that's the difficult you know? thing about it is you know like that's why i don't go and see a dentist because i don't want to know how bad my teeth are <laughs> you don't you know i don't want to know that there's something wrong with me i want to be okay i feel okay mostly on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. so why would i want you to tell me that hey you need three root canals and eight cavity or eight fillings you know um, and it's not you know it's like society puts these these things, these big labels on things like bipolar and being autistic, and even though that's not necessarily in the same range, but it's they're almost like buzzwords like you hear bipolar and and it's oh no, what was me I'm, I'm I could be bipolar like it's not really it's manageable. It can mm-hmm. be managed. it may not be easy, but it's manageable, you know you don't it's yeah. not like a death sentence or something
2: and I think it's also you know really difficult for people who are you, who deal with these you know labels and are still high functioning like I know I personally was a, a very high functioning depressed person like I would you know I was working and you know getting awards and I was like the top one of the top reps you know at the company and my boss would like coach me and she's like you know I don't you're you're amazing I don't understand why you don't speak with more confidence and I just broke down crying and it's like I I don't understand what's happening right now.
0: Yeah, but going back to what you were saying about, you know, being raised in certain households where it's not okay or you're taught that it's not okay to, you know, be weak or have those problems, like you're less than perfect. um, You know, that was particularly common in our generation because we were at the end of that. Mm -hmm. Like it was like right at the turn of going from be a man about it or uh, you're tougher than that or you don't need help. To where we are now, where, I mean, children now are so coddled and so protected because of, you know, all of the anti-bullying stuff and, you know, kind of so many different empowering movements for the kids. It's kind of a difficult balance, you know, like for me with my Mm -hmm. kids, when my kids fall and hurt themselves, I don't, oh my God, are you okay? And pick them up. I don't, I personally don't do that. That's not my style. But I also don't say, oh, it's no big deal. I evaluate them, and I get them to evaluate themselves, and then I say, okay, stand up, you're okay, take a breath, and if they really do hurt themselves, and at that point, okay, let's, you know, let's go into comforting mode, but they have Mm -hmm. to learn how to comfort themselves, too, and know, like, you know, for me anyways, a lot of the time, while I was told that I could talk to people when I had problems, I didn't want to do that, I don't want to admit that there's something wrong with me, I don't want to admit that I'm depressed, but You know, I want my kids to do that, too. I don't know that that's necessarily something fair to expect, but that's something that is my mindset. I was raised in that environment, and I chose not to take it. So at least I can provide that environment for my kids, and then they can choose to take it or not take it.
1: Mm Yeah, you bring up a good point about, you know, trying to find a good balance between all this. Because, yeah, they're, you know, too little, and, you know, people get labeled with mental illness, and, you know, that's, you know, bad, you know, yada, yada. But then if you go too overboard, like you said, with all the anti-bullying, you know, now kids are getting a little too protected and expecting, you know, all kinds of sheltering from everything, even like you said, just a minor, like if one of your kids just has a minor fall, you know, they just want to be protected. And it's like, no, they're, you got to find that right balance right in between that, you know. Makes most common sense. Yeah.
0: and I'm not. I'm not trying to say that I don't support anti-bullying because I think that's absolutely a necessity. Um, but I, more to the point, I'm worried that it's going to lead to the children of tomorrow basically being entitled. I don't want them to believe that just because they complain a little bit to somebody X, Y, or Z that they're just going to get their way. Um, you mm-hmm. know, oh, my boss was mean to me. I have to go and tell on him so that that way it won't happen again. Realistically, like. There is a real world out there, and the real world is not a nice world. It's not probably ever going to be. Humans are evil inherently, you know? So, mm-hmm. you know, teaching kids to believe that it's not okay, that things are not okay, I don't feel like is correct. Like You have to know that there are problems in this world, and you're going to have to learn to deal with them. You know, you have to learn how to fix the problems. For sure.
2: And I think it's especially evident, like, online where you can kind of either see like you know the actual real you know times when people are bullying other people and sometimes you know that difference of opinion where it's like oh they're just being a hater they're being a troll and it's like no someone's just giving you an opinion you just might not you just don't really like it and that doesn't make them wrong that doesn't mean they're bullying you that just means that they're disagreeing with you
1: right yeah and that that's a major difference too you know people can have different opinions from you there and there's nothing wrong with that you know if you want to have you know a civilized you know conversation maybe you know keep an open mind maybe you'll realize that you know the other person makes more sense than what you know your opinion believe or you know it could be the opposite maybe you'll convince that other person you know about you know maybe your opinion ends up ultimately making more sense to them so uh, yeah and and with trolling, it's usually pretty obvious when people are trolling because they go overboard on everything. Uh, but like I said, just kind of keep an open mind everything, and you know, just have discussions with people. Don't just you know start raising your voice or you know start acting a little more aggressive towards people just because you know they don't right. inherently agree with you on something. Well,
0: and so people are usually you know have a good idea of who they are and what they believe in. So if you know trent you and i were to argue about i don't know religion or politics or something neither one of us is going to budge i'm not going to all of a sudden decide to vote for your person just because you gave a quote unquote convincing argument your opinion is your opinion and my opinion is my opinion you know it's like it doesn't it doesn't make sense why those those types of conversations have to happen like we can talk and i want i'm curious i'd like to know how you feel about things but don't expect me to also do what you're doing you know let's just have a conversation about it let's be open minded I just I think yeah, the, the conversation needs to not be about get everyone on my side believe what I believe and it needs to just be about I'm me and you're you.
1: Yeah, and that's actually a good point too, yeah. You can have the discussion, but you know, if neither person wants to budge on their opinion, that's that's perfectly fine as well. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh my point is basically just you know, just keep an open mind and have, you know, civil discussions with people rather than becoming aggressive or anything like that, or trying to demean the person just because they don't agree with right, you. Right, right.
3: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: Yeah, that's why there's the saying, let's agree to disagree. There's yeah. <laughs> there's nothing
0: inherently wrong <laughs> exactly. with Exactly. I mean, I, just from my own personal experience, uh, our previous branch manager around the time of the election was like super pro-Hillary Clinton. And I, for whatever reason, you know, my own personal reasons don't didn't want to vote for her. Um, And we were able to have – this is the first time that he and I ever had a positive discussion about anything because we couldn't stand each other. Uh, But we were able to talk politics without being rude and without trying to convince the other person of why we needed to vote for the other person. It was, well, I'm supporting Bernie Sanders because X, Y, and Z. And he tells me he's supporting Hillary Clinton because of X, Y, and Z. And I I say, well, I heard these certain things about Hillary Clinton and her policy and that he would either – debunk those things or kind of give a different light from it you know and it and it was it was enlightening for me to have a conversation who, with someone who I did not for the most part respect but still was able to hear his criticisms and his thoughts and take value from it and I I walked out of there with a newfound respect for him because we were able to have that discussion without it turning ugly despite our feelings for each other. See,
2: and I think that's kind of amazing because you know politics is supposed to be one of those topics that are like, you know, taboo in like the workplace, you know, that you're not supposed to talk about like religion or things like that. So I I think that's amazing.
0: It's just—it's one of those things. It's like a like sports fanaticism, you know. It's like, oh, it's my team and your team sucks because my team is awesome. It's all bullshit. All of these people suck, <laughs> you know. Like politicians are still politicians, and you know you believe what you want to believe. And like I support the Green Bay Packers, but if the Cowboys beat the Packers, Cowboys. who cares? The Cowboys played better, <laughs> you know. They made a whatever. It doesn't—it doesn't matter. Like it really doesn't matter. And I don't need. Trent to stop supporting his football teams and, and start supporting the Packers. I mean, come on, it's... Who gives a shit? Like, my life is not centered around sports or my political views, you know?
2: I'm from Texas, so my, my life might be centered around the Cowboys a little bit, but, you know, that's that's neither here nor there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how wrong you are. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I, um... I once got yelled at by a uh, co-worker because I didn't want a there was a, a pride parade and i was asked if i was gonna go and i said no and this was at my old business not not where i currently work and um i said no no i'm not going and the person got very very irate with me well well why not why aren't you going it's Like, well because my Because that part of my life is just like being left-handed. It's nothing special. It's just part of me. And so the person stormed off and came back on Monday with a, um, like a bracelet, one of those rubber bracelets with sayings on them from the parade. And they're like, here, put this on top of your your computer monitor. No, thank you. I don't need to. Like, well, you know, and they asked me, you know, if I was ashamed, but they weren't asking me, they were accusing me. And no, it's just a part of my life. Like I said, it's just the same as being left-handed or being short. You know, but y- yeah. you don't have any right to make me feel bad about that just because, you know, you may have some issue that you feel bad about don't need to bring me into it.
0: Yeah, I mean, ultimately, if... It's part of your life, it's part of who you are, and that's fine, but it doesn't have to be your entire identity. You are more than your sexual orientation. You know, why do I have to wear on my on my chest or on my arm or something, X, Y, or Z thing about me that's not my identity? I'm, I'm a streamer, that doesn't mean I wear Twitch t-shirts yeah. around, you know what I mean?
3: <laughs> and I, that's what I try to remember, like I, I mentioned when I went to the ER and the, the one doctor said that I might be bipolar, and I think about that, and I, I think about my reaction to that person being angry with me about my choice to not go to a pride parade. And um, and also, I was raised Catholic, and um, I remember I was, I was, like, one of the last people in the generation where the nuns didn't like left-handed people. They were They were devil children, and... <laughs> <sighs>
1: wow i know what she's talking about my my grandmother went through that in uh, ireland when she was growing up
3: (laughs) oh yeah you don't get much more catholic than irish oh so Mm -hmm. i was in second grade and i remember sister elba telling my mom that she was going to make me right-handed and my mom pulled out the most amazing line that has stuck with me my entire life and and i've used this and i've thought about it for um my my personal sexual preferences when i find that that is an issue in my life and people um are having an issue with me because of it or if i'm having doubts about myself because of my anxiety and the bipolar and i just think about that and and to remember something that your mom said when you were in second grade that that's really something powerful she looks straight at sister elba and she says God made her that way. Did he make a mistake? And if you're Catholic, or most kinds of religion, God is infallible. So if he made you this way, then you were supposed to be this way. And nobody should be telling you that you're wrong. But that was just, you know, a personal experience, and yeah.
0: I just don't understand how how it could be wrong to be left-handed or, you know... I, like even this is again personal you know preference personal ideologies but like how can homosexuality be bad if it's part of who a person is how does that make this person evil you know a person should be judged on their actions and not who they are if you are hitler that is not in and of itself a bad thing But when you're Hitler and you order the sanctioned murder of, you know, however many billions of people, well, then that, that's the bad Mm -hmm. part, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I just, I like, I, I just, the fact that this is still a topic in today's day and age, like, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. How, how is this still an issue for anybody?
2: Sadly, though, it's like anybody who wants to, like, you know, look to that for their livelihood and everything they're they're gonna find ways to to justify or not justify anything that they want and it's just it's really frustrating especially like when you're dealing with something like mental illness Mm
1: -hmm. because a
2: lot of people will just say oh you're you're just not in tune with god if you found you know jesus's love you would be happy and it would be everything you know would be okay and that works for some people i'm not going to deny that you know some people are feel better through prayer some people feel better going to church because they find something in that that helps them deal with their depression however there are still you know people within the church who are trying these things and even if they're doing their best and trying it still does not beat the depression because it is something chemical that is not right with your body and that you do need to see a doctor for. And pushing the narrative that it's only, you know, something that can be fixed through prayer and through God and, you know, doing your best and trying to do that, it still, it makes you feel so hopeless that, no, I I truly am broken. I'm not doing enough. And that pushes some people to to commit suicide to you know to harm themselves or to start drinking or drugs you know, to start drinking do drugs you know finding other th- vices and that's just not okay
1: <laughs> yeah it's definitely not okay for, for those kinds of things and then just to take it back again real quick to shan's point about being left-handed uh i unfortunately although i wasn't um uh, taught by a, a nun i was unfortunately forced to be right-handed when i write So in this day and age, I actually, (laughs) I use my right hand just for writing, but everything else I do left-handed. And it's even a running joke I have with, with some friends, and then especially at the martial arts gym I work out at. I am the only left-handed person there. So when it comes to <laughs> sparring nights, uh, everyone always, you know, has jokes, like, oh, no, I have, I have to spar Trent. He's left-handed. I This is all backwards. What, what kind of heathen <laughs> is this? And, you we'll know, well, I'll we'll all laugh about it, and then, like, I'll joke, like, oh, well, I'm left-handed. I represent 10% of the population. Clearly, I am the future and evolution of humanity. <laughs> and we'll all just laugh about it because, you know, it just... <laughs> it, 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 we're having fun with it, but... Uh, yeah, my parents were not happy when they realized my teacher uh, forced me right-handed to write when I was clearly a left-handed-minded person, but now I can't even write with my left hand. It just looks awful.
3: <laughs> See, and I i was not forced to become left-right-handed uh, with writing, um, but just through the sheer, um, just, just through life, I mean, we never coddled... Um, left or right hand, but most things, most scissors and everything like that is already for right-handed people. So just by default, I learned how to be partially right-handed. And I can't tell you how many times I have injured myself through life trying to do right-handed things being a left-handed person.
1: Yeah, that's why they (laughs) they tend to say uh, left-handed people's average lifespan is seven years shorter than right-handed people because like you said (laughs) so many things are designed for right-handed people and I'll agree I use scissors right-handed but I'm still not used to it like I always wish I (laughs) had I still have a left-handed pair of scissors to use because it's so much more comfortable for me but uh, yeah most you know most machinery and just pretty much everything in general is always done with right-handed people uh, in mind so that's why they say left-handed people (laughs) die seven years on average earlier the right-handed people because we injure ourselves to the point of death <laughs> we're trying to do something left-handed when it's designed for a right-handed person
0: yep yep and so i'm sorry so going back to um what lola was saying about you know churches and prayer and and things being fixed through through that type of healing it really just ties back to what you guys were saying about meditation that is literally i would imagine a form of meditation oh absolutely You're sitting there head bowed trying to find inner peace trying to talk to you know without getting into our own personal beliefs
2: or even just trying to talk to this
0: higher being yeah prayers like it's it's all designed so that you will feel peace and by feeling peace you will believe that you are communicating with a deity you know and and Again, whether that's true or not is, is irrelevant. It's about what it does for the person. But on the converse side, you know, a big part of I was doing research a while back um, for someone I was dating because they didn't understand my depression, and I wanted them to know um, how they should approach dealing with someone who's dealing with depression. Uh, and one of the main things they talk about is no judgments and, and don't talk about it like it's weird and don't talk about it like it's so unusual because the reality is it's not unusual, um and all you're doing is making them feel bad about themselves. So it's like a turtle, you know, I I come out a little bit and I'm trying to tell you that I'm I'm having emotional problems and then you make me feel like a freak because of it. Well, I'm just going to withdraw back into my shell and I don't need to talk to you. Now I know I, I don't feel safe talking to this person about my problems, so I'll just deal with it myself. And most of the time you don't deal with it yourself, you just, you know, you end up going back to that dark place again. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah, and they they have done scientific studies discussing that you know various forms of meditation, whether you know you do, you know the stereotypical meditation that people believe all Buddhists do constantly, or you know you're Catholic and you you meditate by praying. You know all these forms of meditation have been proven scientifically to actually help in mental health overall. Uh, you know at different levels for different people, depending on how serious or how long or you know how they do it, but scientifically it does work.
2: Well, I know one of the biggest things, uh, you know, going back to speaking about mental health, and actually going to go see, you know, someone through the medical field. Uh, I first went to a psychiatrist, I was absolutely terrified about taking medication. And sure enough, that was one of the first things that, you know, she suggested, because I was diagnosed with severe depression. And so I was absolutely terrified. And the first medication that I took wound up, actually making me have panic attacks and that was kind of terrifying and uh, so I had to you know get off of that one and then take another one and I I was scared to do it but I, I, I had no choice I wanted to not be this sobbing crying mess that I had become and so I was a little wary about taking it, but, you know, I, I took it, um, it was one of the, the more common ones. I think it was a um, Prozac. And my f- first experience that I actually recall, I know you guys have mentioned, um, you know, kind of feeling like a zombie. It's like, I didn't feel like a zombie, but I had gone to a, um, it was a concert at the, uh, the Arizona State Fair, and Shannon and I had gotten tickets for a Steve Miller band. And one of the things that I always noticed is that I picked up Energy from people, and I would always feel, you know, uh, I could feel other people's energies in a crowd. You know, I could pick up when people were happy, I was happy. When they were, you know, not feeling too well, I was like, oh, I can tell that you're not feeling well. But for the first time, I've kind of felt like I was in a bubble, and it terrified me to no end. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand what's happening, what is going on. But I kept taking the medication and I was actually feeling okay after a while because it was more like, if you've ever listened to a television in the house of a person who is hard of hearing, it's on, you know, like 11. And when you go back to listening to television at a normal level, you feel like you can't hear it. So i I kind of liken it to that. It's like I was so used to feeling so much from other people that when I started not picking all that up, I kind of felt like I was you know in my little bubble, but I wasn't I was just more that I was back to a normal level and my body was just adjusting to it.
3: Yeah, you were where you were supposed to be, but you had never been there before, so it was a scary feeling
2: it really was and um but then I went I kept seeing the psychiatrist and she she was one of those that do not feel that depression is a an illness that you can be disabled from and I actually had experiences of being disabled where it's like I couldn't leave the house I couldn't you know do anything I felt like killing myself all the time even though I was still on medication and so her attitude just kind of made me want to not pursue this anymore so I wound up you know not going to see her and then it took a while but I eventually decided to go back after we uh, Shannon's sister was staying with us and we had taken her to see a psychiatrist and she was just amazing we started seeing her because, uh, you know, we saw how well she dealt with Shannon's sister who, you know, had the bipolar and the schizoaffective, you know, she w- who was schizoaffective, and um, she also suggested that I try some medications, and I told her I was wary, so I went ahead and, you know, decided to take the ones that, you know, she recommended, and again, it took a couple of tries, you know, a couple weeks, several months, and I eventually found a medication that, made me feel normal I didn't have you know the the side effects that everyone says it was like I was actually able to help deal with my depression it didn't make the depression go away it never has and I think a lot of people feel that medication is either a crutch or you know something that masks it when you're if you're on the correct medication It just gets your levels to where you need to be. And it's like, okay, I can, I don't feel like I'm, you know, on top of the world, but I can get out of bed and I can take a shower. It's going to take a little time, but as I kept going, the medication helped me be able to get up and start going to school and start, you know, going back and doing the things I love. And I found my joy again. And I notice, you know, when I don't take my medication, something insignificant will cause me to break down. It's like, no, I, I, I need to not do that again. Whoops. <laughs> yeah.
0: Right. I mean, it's it's difficult because, you know, when I was growing up, there was always like my cousin um, is, has Asperger's, but they thought that he just had ADHD. And so he was on the wrong medication our entire childhood. Mm-hmm. Um and he would become unhinged, and, like, he, I remember I was more scared of him than I've been of anybody else. I mean, he threw a screwdriver at me, and I accused him of trying to murder me. I mean, it was, (laughs) it was, you know, intense, Mm -hmm. Um, and that experience has made me, for better or worse, terrified of medications. You know, when I was depressed, and I was seeing a psychiatrist, it was, like, I don't, If you even mention medication to me, I'm walking out. Like that's kind of was my mindset, Um, which was irrelevant anyways, because this particular psychiatrist I was signed up with seeing was um, more interested in picking his nose and looking down at his notes and his coffee than what I was saying. So I started manipulating him and started telling him all kinds of bullshit that wasn't true just to see if he would believe it. Like, I was honing my ability to lie through this guy. And I just ultimately decided, eh, I'm not going to see you anymore because I'm. This is no longer, you know, what was a value to me is no longer a value. I'm not enjoying lying to you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not here for you to not pay attention mm. to me. And I'm not here so that I can fuck with you. I'm here to get help. And you're not helping me. So, again, I guess I'll just deal with it myself, yeah, you know? It's
2: definitely. It's so hard to find the right doctor who gives you that balance of, you know, actually listening to you and telling you the things that you, you know, don't want to necessarily hear. Like, yeah, you kind of do need medication, but, um, you know, once you find the right doctor, I think it definitely helps. And it may take, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, 20 tries, but when you find the right one, it is so worth it. You know, this doctor saved my life. I don't know where I would be had she not been the person she was and had I not been able to go to her like she has a uh, an emergency number like we I I have her cell number and I can leave a message for her at any time and she will call me it's like you don't find that anymore I mean
3: Lola and I we live in in Arizona and when people ask us if we like our doctor and we tell them we would walk
2: barefoot in august to her office and we're not lying so i used to take the bus for 3 hours to be able to go see her it's like going to go see her was like an 8 hour day round trip
0: it's just kind of sad that it has to become a situation where this finding this right doctor is like finding a unicorn you know it
3: seriously is and she's 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 on the the butt end of four towns away
0: I mean, that's rough, but the important part is that you guys found that person and you found somebody who can help.
1: Exactly. And,
0: you know, you guys are better. I mean, we've talked about it. It's This is not something that you can cure. You don't just cure depression. You don't cure, you know, ailments like bipolar or, you know, it's like it's always going to be there. So you're really just helping, finding someone to help you manage that condition that, you know, you're just going to deal with for the rest of your life.
2: Yep. Yeah. And I think... A lot of times, it's hard for for people to understand that because for the longest time, you know, Shannon didn't quite understand how to deal with me and my depression. You know, she was oh, very yeah. See, you know the story I'm telling. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, she would just be like, "Oh, come on, let's get out of bed. You know, just just get out of bed and go for walking. You'll feel better." I'm like, okay. I won't, but all right, um, you know, and sometimes, yeah, no, it does make you feel better. Maybe it's, you know, a change in scenery or whatever, but, you know, she was trying to help me cure clinical depression by doing things that, you know, she was told growing up, you know, and that I was eventually, told yeah, and that I was told growing up as well, but it just, it wasn't curing the depression. It wouldn't do anything. It's like maybe for someone who is it, a way to kind of combat depression when you're on medication and like trying to, to do things. But for severe clinical depression, these things were were not helping. And she would just, you know, she'd get frustrated with me. She'd get angry and, you know, which is understandable if you're dealing with something and you don't quite know how to help someone and you think that they're not helping themselves. It didn't it didn't help that I was also dealing with my own
3: anxiety
2: and anger issues at the time and and bipolar and she wasn't medicated either right. so <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but um, we we had a perfect storm of no
1: <laughs> it sounds like a perfect storm
2: yes she had been taking some medication for um for migraines and uh oh she had forgotten to take some and you know so she got her prescription and instead of tapering back on. She just decided to boom go right back into the dose that she was at, which was a big no-no. I had never
3: been—I had never been on a heavy medication before. I had just been um, treating my migraines with ibuprofen my entire life, right. so I never knew how how to treat these
2: medications. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> she, um, she woke up one morning and she was like. I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel like I'm in this black pit. You know, it's like, what's, what's wrong? I feel really sad, and I don't know what's what's going on. It's like I can't go to work today, and so she calls out of work. And you know, I'm trying to figure out what's going on, and and she's like, I need to, I need to go outside. I need to, to go for a walk. I need to get out of the house. I'm like, okay. So I, not sure enough, we take her out to to one of the uh, parks that we have that has a a lake, and it's usually you owned. Know, we made it maybe. The three quarters of the way around, and she couldn't even walk anymore. She was just breaking down, sobbing. No, I, I basically fell over. Yeah, and she's like, "What is wrong with me?" And I, I ask her again. It's like, "What, what is wrong? What is what? What are you feeling right now?" And she's listing off. You know, I just there's this darkness. I don't know what's happening. And it's like, she's listing off all these things she's feeling. And it's like it sounds like you have depression that is how I feel when I'm at my worst and sure enough when she called her neurologist one of the side effects of the medication is that you could possibly get depression and it caused Shannon to have depression and she's looking at me like I am so sorry. It's like, how do you live with this day in and day out? And it's like, I don't know. It's like, you just do. You've just become conditioned to it. You just be, yeah. It's like, you kind of accept that this is, this is the life that you live and you're gonna just do what you can. And she's like, I am so sorry. I don't, I don't know how you do it. And she's never done that with her medication again. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah. Oh
3: yeah. Oh yeah. No. I was, I was very fortunate, you know, when I went to the doctor, yes, I messed up the chemicals in my body, but not enough that it was a permanent defect, yeah. but I was still on medication to fix it for almost mm-hmm. a year, just just from messing up the medication once.
2: So yeah, definitely treat your medication with respect. It's like follow your doctor's orders, read your directions... And if you want to go off your medication,
3: talk to your doctor and don't go back. That's
0: crazy that it's so restrictive, though. Like, it's it's almost scary. You know, you're dealing with, like, as if you were dealing with explosives, you know?
3: Yeah. Oh, it's terrifying. It's, yeah, especially if, like me, you'd never taken something like yeah. that before. You know? And, and I, I am very much... My father's daughter. I don't read the directions on anything and I don't map where I'm going. Let's just get in the car and go. So, of course, I didn't read. The um all the paperwork that came with the medication. I'm like, hey, yeah, it's. it's I
2: just got it at the pharmacy. Okay, and, we're and fine. sometimes you know, reading the paperwork on the directions is a good idea, but don't always read the side effects because sometimes if you read the side effects, you're not going to want to take the the thing. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> that's why my brother is. Yeah, the, the side effects can <laughs> sound pretty scary. They can. And my like my my younger brother, I he he has depression for sure, and he's trying to self medicate with weed and that's probably not the best idea especially since you know it's a kind of a yeah and no no where he lives but uh he reads the side effects of every medication and he's like no I can't take it and it's like have you read the side effects of weed dude <laughs> it's like it's the same thing <laughs> and um but <laughs> you know he he reads the side effects and automatically he has everything it's like oh my god no my stomach hurts I'm going to get sick oh no is is this you know, am I going to get uh, a? Is it, it, my arm? My arm is going numb. I'm having a heart attack. What does a seizure feel like? I think I'm having a seizure, and it's like, no, <laughs> oh my god.
0: <laughs> I don't know. Just going back to what you know, you were saying about depression and feeling like you're you're in that deep dark pit. I mean, from my own experiences, I don't. I wouldn't say that I have clinical depression. I, don't, I wouldn't say that it's particularly extreme. I, you know, I don't. I guess I don't really know what other people's levels would really be like, but I know that. For mine, it's only scary on the days where it hits out of nowhere. Like, mostly mine is triggered by an event. Someone pisses me off, or maybe my wife doesn't respond to something the way that I want her to, or think that she should, or I come home and my kid won't talk to me. Something like that. Those make sense to me. There's a reason it'll pass. It's the days where I'm at work, I'm having a good morning, and then all of a sudden I feel like crying out of nowhere. And it's nothing happened. And, and nothing, nobody's been mean to me. It's The weather is fine. Um, yep. And I feel like I have to close my door and cry just because I'm feeling feelings for no reason. And I don't get it. Yep. Um, those are few and far between. But when it happens, it's super scary because then I start going down that dark path of really, again, considering suicide and thinking, why do I feel this way? You know, maybe how hard would it be for me to make a noose? How hard would it be for me to take a day off and, you know, go somewhere and not be found again? Like, those are the things that go through my head. And then the next day when it's passed, I feel like a complete nut job because, holy shit, like, if I had given into that, I would lose my entire family. My kids would lose their dad. My wife would lose her husband, and she's not really working right now. So, you know, I could literally ruin these people's lives just by ending mine. So having that moment of scary feeling translate into ruining other people's lives is, it's scary. Like, I'm getting chills now thinking about it, because in that moment when I'm sad, when I'm thinking the thoughts, I'm not thinking about those things. you
2: yeah, it's like you're thinking about how much better off. It's
0: incredibly heavy when those things happen, so I can't imagine what it would be like for somebody who has that day in and day out. You know, I don't even think at my worst I was like that every single day.
2: It, it's, it's definitely hard especially when you know growing up you don't quite realize that that's what you're dealing with you know it's like when when i was you know actually going through it it's like oh no i'm a teenager i'm supposed to be moody i'm supposed to feel like this you know i would have those i had really bad acne growing up and my i guess my self-harm it's like i never actually hurt myself i never like cut myself or, or anything like that i i was a picker yeah. And, you know, I would have, like, after I had had a chicken pox for a while, I would have, like, little scabs on my head that I would pick at. Or I if I had acne, I just, I felt so ugly and awful and horrible that I would, you know, pick at all the stuff on my face. I would rather have my face bleeding than to have these welts on my face. And I would just, I'd rather have the scars. And I would pick at things. If I had, you know, a, a scab on my knee, I would pick at that, that, you know. And that's where my self-harm would be. It's like, you know, getting these things off my face would make me feel better. Yeah. And I didn't know. I just, I thought I had, you know, low self-esteem, you know, and things like that. And I did because, you know, of course I was bullied as well, but, you know, I, I was stuck in that mire. I would just sit and think about how I was just deserving of this bullying, how I was ugly in this stupid, awful person and I, I was i was a smart kid and it's like no I'm I'm horrible um, I'm lazy I'm fat I'm you know I'm all of these things and when I finally got to you know the, the doctor that I had right now and, she, and you know we're going back and talking about these things and there would be days where I would just you know she asked me if I would feel guilt and it's like I feel guilt every day I feel guilty for breathing and you know I feel guilty that people are having to to deal with me you know I feel like my moving away to get out of my I had a really bad situation with my family that I was living in and I had to get out I had to get out for my own sake and I felt guilty for for leaving them to suffer by themselves I felt like I was abandoning them self-preservation felt like something selfish and when you're in that kind of depression it just it, it consumes you and its it's really it's really hard to to try to dig your way out but if you can by all means just mm-hmm. you've got to keep going yeah Cause, definitely cuz like if you don't it's just it's just you, you can't give into it as much as you might want to
0: and really i mean it's interesting to hear you say what you said about being a picker because i never considered that to be self harm but i've always been that way every scab every every everything has to get picked off
2: yeah like if you had that pain once you got that you know once it it popped once it went away it's like Done. You know, you had that moment of euphoria. It's like, ha, ah, I got you, yeah, jackass. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> so,
0: and that's the funny thing about it is is when I worked at Target, which I don't think, you know, I don't think you knew this, Trent. But when I worked at Target, I also picked up uh, trichotillomania um, where you pull hair. And, I mean, some forms of it also has the people eating the hair. I don't have that. But I started picking up this habit of um, digging out the hairs in my neck, like portions of my my lower beard. And I would pull patches of hair off and like stick them to walls or stick them to paper, just pulling them out at the roots, you know, and um, the first time I grew a beard was specifically so I could stop doing that. I could not stop pulling the hair out of my neck. Um, So I ended up growing a beard out and it ended up being an awesome beard. And I was like, okay, this is great. (laughs) You know, I'll just (laughs) always have a beard Um, and that didn't necessarily work. And so now every once in a while, um, once I went clean shaven again, Um, And I find myself pulling those hairs out. I deliberately have to like you know look at myself and say stop. Like you can't you can't do this. You can't start doing this again. Uh, It's a nasty habit. I mean, it's not particularly harmful aside from I mean they could get infected or whatever. But you know it's not as bad as say cutting or burning or um, even people who hit themselves or break their bones. Like you know Mm -hmm. I find cutting to be my only real addiction and the only thing that I feel like is a dangerous. Uh, self-harm thing but just yeah just the picking thing I I definitely that resonates with me for sure
3: yeah and self-harm I mean just like anything else it it has some are worse than others some some types are worse than others some people the way that they treat it is worse than others Um, I I bite off I used to bite off my nails and rip all the skin around my fingertips when I would have Um, an anxiety attack and I wouldn't stop until it hurt and then I would register it would register what I was doing and I'd oh oh well now my fingers are all swollen and you know I need to stop and then five minutes later what's going on is my fingers are bleeding because I'm at it again and I didn't even realize it So I started just making sure that my nails were polished all the time and that they looked pretty, and then I would feel guilty for biting my nails. Wow,
0: that's actually really smart. I mean, who wants to eat paint? So,
1: (laughs) yeah, because I have that problem too, where I I tend to bite my nails a lot. Uh, But yeah, maybe I should start painting my nails too without (laughs) getting. Oh, that would be beautiful. (laughs) To kind of of stop chewing on my nails. Do it.
3: We'll get you a manicure. It'll be great. There's there's clear nail polish that tastes nasty. Oh
1: yeah, about to. I I should try putting things that taste nasty on my nails too to help me stop but other than biting my nails I what I would also tend to do is is dig my nails into my palm mm. of my hand either hand and just mm-hmm. pick and pick and pick until I just started like shredding skin and layer of layers of skin just off my palm and then all of a sudden you know I'd be getting like blisters or just open wounds and that was pretty bad too so yeah. thankfully I don't do that as much but I still definitely bite my nails a lot which is not good
0: yeah. I, I think my earliest, like my very, very first cutting experience wasn't really out of depression. It was around the time that my mom and dad were splitting up, I think, um, or something like that. But I remember that my brother, I've always been obsessed with knives. I think that's a very male, like boy thing.
2: Well, not necessarily because both Shannon and I have been obsessed with knives for a very long time, but yeah, continue. <laughs> oh,
0: really? I've always assumed that just every guy likes knives <laughs> yeah. and that's just how it is, but um, But my brother had a Swiss Army knife, and uh, I knew where it was, but I never really touched it. So my mom and my brothers went somewhere, and I was being babysat, and this guy was not paying attention. And so I went into my brother's room and got the knife and slit open every single one of my fingertips across both of my hands. And it didn't hurt. Like, I, I was doing it, and I was just testing it out, and it felt like, you know, I'm, oh, I'm cutting something with a knife. And then when the pain set in, it was like excruciating. And it was similar to another time, very similar to that, uh, in that same period of time where, um, my mom had walked away from a hot iron after she was ironing, I think my brother's clothes or something. And I just decided that I wanted to feel how it felt. So I put my hand on it for a bit and burn the shit out of my hand. I think I've done that with, uh, one of her cigarettes before too, but never like, never Gosh. really like a, I want to hurt myself cause I'm sad, but just kind of like i don't know i guess not really understanding that there are limits uh and that there would actually be physical pain associated with these things <laughs> but i just yeah the pain the pain of having that the fingertips splayed open like that was really awful and then um, there was another time when i started feeling depressed i had a ninja turtle like a stuffed ninja turtle plush thing it was probably like about two feet so it was you know big enough for you to hug basically uh, and I took my mom's letter opener and I stabbed the shit out of it. I just kept stabbing and stabbing and stabbing. Um, and then I left the letter opener in the Ninja Turtle on the ground. I didn't really think about it. I was just done doing it and started watching TV. And while I was watching TV, I was standing up on the bed and, you know, jumping around or whatever. And then I jumped off the bed and I landed right on the letter opener and it went through my foot. Um,
1: and that was kind of
0: like a, okay, okay. Now that I know that I'm crazy, (laughs) I know that I have a problem, I need to stop because I'm inadvertently hurting myself. And this was before I started actually intentionally hurting myself. So that was just like, you know, since we're talking about these painful things, this just brings back all of these memories. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah, that was crazy. I had to walk on my tippy toes for a few months after that. Yeah. Oh,
2: know You had mentioned... um, you know, having to tell yourself literally to stop picking. It's like, I found that, you know, keeping, trying to, you know, keep my face clean, you know, washing your face, you know, is a good way to kind of help prevent that. And also I have found that pimple popping videos on the internet actually kind of help (laughs) with that. It's hilarious. There's one, one uh, YouTube channel I watch, um, Dr. Sandra Lee. She's amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Um, actually. And speaking of Dr. Pimple Popper, uh, Yes. A company that worked with her actually was one of my clients. They actually just moved out of our space uh, not too long ago. But I used to I, I would get all kinds of free stuff from her.
2: <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Oh my god, that's amazing. But um, you know, it's like I will sit you know, like I have insomnia as well because of course I do. It's like if I'm having, you know, an anxiety attack <laughs> you know, I will sit and watch these videos. Because of course I do. <laughs> because of course <laughs> I do. And but she's not she's she's not kidding there are some nights where i'm getting up for yeah. work and she's still awake and um yeah and i'll sit there and watching her you know take these things off of people and like you know cut their you know cut them open and like take all the gross stuff and then sew it back up is very cathartic and relaxing <laughs> and it's like oh that that came out really nice good job sandra good job <laughs>
0: I think I could I could probably identify with that as far as watching them sew them up, but the ones that I've seen where they're pulling like parasites out of people or like oh god no I can't you do know, that. anything anything <laughs> that's pus or like really particularly nasty I can't oh, I can't I, just I love can't. those
1: things I, I've been known to watch uh, YouTube videos of uh, with GoPros on doctors performing various kinds of surgeries. Uh, my favorites are complete kn- knee replacements. Those things are those things are intense and awesome. <laughs>
2: It's like that's a bit much for me.
1: I'll- but usually, when I get insomnia, I actually tend to use AS- ASMR videos to listen to. Mm-hmm. Those usually tend to help me out pretty good with uh, with my insomnia.
2: Mm-hmm. I love um, the white noise. Uh, you know, apps like I love like rain. Rain will help me a lot, and it's another yeah. one to, to help oh, calm yeah. anxiety. Rain and you know just beach noises those are nice too it's like those those are probably my favorite
1: yeah what's i think i think rain is a pretty universal one for everybody um mm-hmm. I, well i i should say i have yet to meet someone who does not like the sound of rain so to okay. me it's a pretty u- universal thing
0: well those aren't real people so I mean. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh with that let's see uh let's move into emails we uh, finally got an email and this one is also regarding uh mental health um So let me pull that up here. It's from our friend Kyle. Uh, Well, not the Kyle that was already on the podcast. We have Kyle 1 and Kyle 2 from the Discord. So this is from Kyle 2. He says, uh, in regards to mental health, For me, I noticed that after my first time really having a deep depression, it changed me a bit. And uh, the times after changed me more. I have been more cynical after, in general, just care less about people, and am more judgmental. Not to say I'm completely careless slash heartless, I see myself as pretty happy, but in terms of someone going through an issue, if I see the reason that they're in a bad or sad situation, and it was something I quote-unquote think they could have avoided, I will not feel bad for them in the slightest, which sounds very negative, but I will think that's stupid of them to let it happen." For you guys, have you noticed any sort of change in yourself after you have come out of your depression, good or bad?
1: Uh, yeah, I would say for me, when whenever I would get out of a deep depression, that I would actually feel a lot happier and feel like I, you know, I found a, a whole new part of myself and you know became a stronger person. For it.
2: for me, I think you know, I haven't really found my way, you know, out of my depression. I think it's going to be something that I'm going to be, you know, dealing with continuously but um I think after I've gotten out of a really bad depressive state I find myself thinking negatively a lot more and I find that I have to actively tell myself you know to, to give myself a break it's like you know I am not you know I'll let me like if someone gives me a compliment I would immediately be like, Oh no, no, this is why you're wrong. Let me give you an entire list about why I'm the worst person in the world And like <laughs> I've actively like had to tell myself, it's like, take the compliment and say thank you <laughs> <laughs> and so yeah, I was like sure enough. I was like, yeah, Yo, thank you very much.
0: Compliments are so hard to take when you're depressed. <laughs>
2: they are. They yeah. are, Oh my god. And so and Lola is in theater too. So
3: she gets out of a show and she's standing in the lobby and people are telling her how wonderful she was in the show and she's having problems processing. And I'm
2: just like, thank you. <laughs> so it's like, you know what, you, you, you kind of have to tell yourself, it's like, this is their opinion, they're allowed to have it. You tell them, thank you, because it's good and it's about you. <laughs> so you, you kind of, it's it's a way, of, you have to actively try to change your thinking a little bit more because it has changed because you're used to having those those negative impulses. So that's that's kind of how my, my brain works there.
0: And what about you, Shannon?
2: Um... Well, I deal more with anxiety than depression,
3: but um, I'm super, super sensitive after coming out of an anxiety attack. Um, Emotionally, I'm super sensitive and I have to, to stop and, you know, point out it's like I'm at work. My boss only told me to get back on the phone. She wasn't attacking me or anything like that. Or, you know, I come home afterwards and Lola will ask me a question, and I have to stop myself. It's like she wasn't criticizing me; she was just straight up asking me a question. So, uh, yeah, huh. I, I, yeah, that's an effort.
0: That sounds oppressively difficult to deal with.
3: I I can be difficult to deal oh. with. <laughs> Luckily, I I have somebody who, you know, we try to understand each other, and we we've been together. 16 years wow (laughs) congratulations guys that's (laughs) amazing
0: that
1: is pretty (laughs) awesome
3: to hear we 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 have learned to communicate when i feel that you know she may be having a rough day and i feel like i'm getting snapped at for simple things i'll ask her i'll say is it something that i did or are you having a difficult time today yeah and if she tells me that she's having a difficult time, then I know I didn't do anything. She's having a rough day. So I need to give her space. And if she needs anything, to just let her know that I'm there for her.
0: That's that's awesome.
2: Yeah, it's like, well, we've gotten to the point where, you know, because there was a time where we couldn't even, like, I could not watch The Daily Show because she would argue with everything Jon Stewart said. And she was not happy about it. Like, she was seeing red. And so, you know, we kind of had to, you know, Lauren. It's like, okay, well, we can't watch The Daily Show right now because Shannon's just not doing well. And so <laughs> it's just kind of the, you, you have to be open and aware of your situations. Because, you know, there'll be times when I will tell her, it's like, look, I'm having, you know, I'll I'll tell her beforehand. It's like, I'm having a rough time. I might yell at you. I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's it's definitely one of those things that, you know, comes with time and and learning yourself and knowing each other other and and
3: just communicating.
2: And I'll tell her it's like, you know, she's doing unnecessarily, like unusually bad. I'll be like, I don't mean this in an accusatory tone, but have you been taking your medication? (laughs) And some people it's like, that's the worst freaking insult. And there have been times when we have, you know, completely, insulted each other that way when not meaning to but there are times when you know after certain times it'll click it's like oh my god no i haven't crap i need to get that filled you know because yeah. something just happened and we didn't get a chance to to do it and it, it's just it's trial and error
0: that's oh <laughs> it's just one of my favorite things about relationships it's this like a back and forth dance i like i i'm not good at anything else in my life but Being a dad and being a husband. Like, you know, having relationships is all I know how to do. So that back and forth dance and the conversation and being delicate, you know, it's it's very... I almost want to say it's very sexual because in that very intimate. you know type of environment intimate right you have to you have to match the other person's pace and you have to know when to stop and when to go and it's just it's just incredible that's what a long relationship like that or or not even a long relationship but a relationship that clicks like that mm-hmm. that's why those are so important and so amazing yeah
2: especially when one or both of you have mental health issues
0: yeah well that's that requires extra delicate gloves yep. <laughs> um But okay, so yeah, in regards to Kyle's email, I will say for my part, personally, uh, I agree on the part of becoming more cynical and less sympathetic. You know, it's like, you know, not in terms of avoidance, because we're all humans and we make mistakes, but it's more about like digging yourself out of that hole. You know, when I see someone struggling with something in their life now, um, I think about all the ways that they can fix it. Because, you know, to us, maybe it doesn't seem like such an insurmountable problem. You know, people become so entangled in their own struggle that they don't see the obvious channels and ways that they could take to fix it. You know, that that's not to say all issues have easy, you know, fixes and solutions, but I think part of having gone through some shit and having to learn to be strong with or without help, you know, it changes you. Um, mm-hmm. I'd say it's, you know, I consider it to be akin to being a combat veteran, you know, not that that's really anywhere on the same level, but um you know what we've seen and gone through has literally killed some people Mm -hmm. and you know in a lot of ways we've become calloused because of it so it's hard to be sympathetic i think
2: right it's but it's i think that's definitely something that you gotta you know work to do because it's like people will, will tell you their problems and they when in in comparison it does kind of feel a little small and it's like no no everybody everybody's issues are their own and you know
3: you can't compare somebody else's pain against your own. Exactly. Lola and I used to work in, in car insurance. And that was one thing they work on is the soft skills, the, the empathy with the caller. Because the guy who just wrecked his car, his pain is his pain. So
2: is the woman who just lost her husband, the biker. And you know, so her is the person is that just pain. had their door dinged. You know, it's like everybody's pain exactly. is valid. And it's valid in their own yeah. way. To them, so you can't always, you know, compare.
0: Yeah, I think for me, at least, it, you know, what I was kind of alluding to is on a smaller scale. I would say, like, you know, when um, when someone is having issues with their significant other, but they're being too, you know, bullheaded and stubborn to actually stop and listen to them. Right. And, you know, my relationship yeah. sucks, and I need to get out of it. Well, have you tried communicating with your partner? Like, have you actually? You know, gotten down to the root cause of what the problem is, or is that too difficult and too frustrating for you to do? Because if you're not willing to do the work, then you don't really deserve the relationship. That's that's where what I'm talking about with being cynical and less sympathetic. Gotcha.
2: No, absolutely. There's actually a um, (laughs) a story about that. A uh, a friend of mine from school. You know, he was like just really depressed when one night after a rehearsal, and he's like, "Well, I." guess i'm single again and i'm like why what's going on it's like well i haven't heard from my girlfriend in like three days and it's like okay um (laughs) did have you talked to her like have you tried to call her it's like yeah she's not picking up it's like well have you gone to her house it's like i don't know when she's home okay you can go and you know kind of wait there like is the relationship not worth saving do you not want to it's like, what's, what's going on? You're 30 <laughs> years old, for goodness sakes. Put down the phone and go sit outside her house.
0: <laughs> right. It's <laughs> when they won't go and do the footwork and try and figure it out for themselves and take the yeah. available things. It's like, you know, we all know if you were giving this advice to somebody else, it's very obvious what the, the possibilities are, what the answers could be. But when you're in it, you're not thinking about that stuff. So. Yeah. Take yourself out of the equation and think about it from the outside. See Mm -hmm. what the answers could potentially be and go fucking do it. Don't Mm -hmm. just sit there and cry to me about it, you know, because this is time that you could be finding an answer on your own. Mm -hmm. So go do that. That took a turn. (laughs) 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 It's all right. (laughs) But... um, All right. So, uh, thank you for the email, Kyle. I really appreciate it. It was good to see something coming in. (laughs) We've had a few episodes now with no emails, so that was nice to get. Um, but all right, everyone, sorry for the serious tone of this episode, but, you know, with all the recent losses and, and everyone's obvious struggles, you know, with these types of things, we felt like we needed to get out there with our views on it and kind of let you know you're not alone, you know, if you are struggling with things. Yeah, we put on a podcast, we stream, we have to act happy all the time, but realistically, nobody's happy all the time. Um, So we wanted to make sure you knew you weren't alone. Um, uh, And Trent, you had some information on where people could reach out for help if uh, they don't feel comfortable reaching out to us.
1: Yeah, so you can always reach the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, which is, I would argue, is the best thing to do if you feel like you have nobody to talk to or anywhere to turn. They will definitely help you help you get the help that you need in any time of crisis that you have and the phone number for that is if you are in the US it is 1-800-273-8255 alternatively you can also text hello to the number 741-741 or if you're a Facebook addict you can also go to facebook.com slash crisis textline. And finally, if you are outside the U.S., you can find resources at suicide.org backslash hotlines.html. And we will leave that information for you all in the description so that you can have it if you do need it.
0: Okay, and then also, like I said, if, if you guys... Maybe don't feel comfortable doing those things or want to talk to us more about our struggles or anything like that, uh, at least for my part. I'm I'm an open book, so you can email us at cnwpodcast at hotmail.com. We don't necessarily have to read anything on the air if you don't want, um, but we are here. We will reply to you. If it's something regarding mental health, I will absolutely do my best to reply to you as soon as possible um, because obviously, you know, like I said, this has touched a lot of people's lives. It's a very central part in my identity. Um, so for me, I feel like it's one of those most important things that someone can actually deal with. So, um, all right. So big thanks to Shannon and Lola for joining us on this episode. Uh, where can people reach out to you for your commissioned artwork?
2: Uh, you can reach out to us through, um, Shannon's email at dawnfeathercree Cree, D-A-W-N-F-E-A-T-H-E-R-C-R-E-E at gmail.com. Uh, I'll eventually have, you know, a website up and everything like that, uh, Set up, and uh, if you don't feel comfortable reaching out to guys, you're welcome to reach out to us as well. You know, two girls here. Just if you have any questions, you know, we'd be happy to help. You know, I'm, I know I'm an open book, also, and I'm pretty sure Shannon loves telling Same. stories anyway, right? I I love stories. <laughs> so yeah, and I can't I can't stress enough. You know, reach out. Please reach out to somebody, anybody. Just you're not alone.
0: Yeah, if you haven't already established this by now, we're all friendly people. We're not going to bite you. (laughs) We want to help if we can. So, I mean, you know, like she said, if if you don't feel comfortable talking to us, please email them. Or, I mean, there's so many resources out there at this point. Like, all you have to do is have the will to do it and just do it. Um, All right. And then, uh, Trent, where can people find you?
1: Uh, You can find me on Twitch. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, under channel name ShadowCon33.
0: And you can find me at twitch.tv forward slash darker Atreyu. Alright, well that's a podcast. Uh we won't be back for a few weeks due to planned vacations, but we'll see you all again very soon.
1: Yep. We look forward to having some more fun talks with you all soon.
2: Thanks so much for having us guys. Thank you. In my ears,
0: I guess. <laughs>